listening to Financial Insights, a podcast that helps investors through the difficult maze of financial planning and saving for retirement. I'm Brian Ullman, and I'm a financial advisor and certified financial planner at Ford Financial Group. And together with some guests and other advisors at my firm, we're talking about the issues and questions relating to finance that face our clients every day. All right, we are back. You could say by popular demand, I suppose. We are posting a weekend edition of the podcast because we weren't able to get one out during the week. And one of the reasons for for that, and one of the reasons I say we're back by popular demand is because we have a couple things for our clients this week uh, with Ford Financial Group. We had a webinar uh, in midweek with Mira Pandit from J.P. Morgan Asset Management, who you may recognize from CNBC and Yahoo Finance and Bloomberg and the rest. Uh and giving our commentary and guide to markets and kind of the Q4 outlook for our for our clients through our webinar. And then uh, later in the week, we had a reception and wine tasting event for clients uh, at a local restaurant, Campania, if you are listening to this and you're familiar with the Fresno area, uh, and which was went really well. Uh, it was, we had a guest speaker in Joe Perry, who is a mortgage broker with uh, Precision Home Loans, who will be on this podcast at some point down the road because he is an absolute mortgage ninja and really deeply understands the mortgage market rates and things like that. And everybody always has good questions for Joe, but he is also a wine expert. And so he took us on a tour of the world, sampling wines all the way from Austria to Oregon and everything in between. And I think it it was a, I know it was a great time. I think it was well received by clients and their guests. And while we were there, I had a chance to talk with lots of, lots of folks, many of whom uh, were asking about where the podcast is, where's the latest episode. We need to do this more often, which I totally agree with. Uh, so Jim, if you're listening, this one's for you. Uh, the, so that's why we're posting this, recording this and posting this on a weekend because it it was not just a busy week, but a busy week for markets and don't look now, but October has been great, volatile, but great. I think we've talked before about the seasonality of things and how, how it works with markets Historically, not always for the same reasons, but oddly enough, with many times the same results, which is lousy September, a bumpy October, but not necessarily bad bumpy. It's just huge swings, one and two day swings in markets, and that we've certainly gotten that this October. Um, but it's resulted with a one month return out of the Dow of being up better than 10.5%. And frankly, if you're looking at a month-to-date return on the Dow or the S&P, I mean, we are solidly higher. The Dow's up more than 14% month-to-date with just one more day left to go Monday, Halloween. So if you're listening to this, you'll know after the fact how things turned out. But just month-to-date, Dow's up more than 14%. The Russell 2000, which is the small cap uh, index up better than 11%, S&P 500 up nearly 9%, and the NASDAQ, which is getting, being beaten up by these tech names. I won't list them specifically, but you know we're in earnings season. We're getting some dicey earnings from some of these tech names, this mega cap tech. So the NASDAQ is up about five and a quarter percent on the month. So you know, obviously, this isn't enough to bring us back year to date. Uh, we are still... Um, 
you know, down pretty solidly. The S&P 500 year to date is down more than 17%. But again, if you look at the Dow, which is a different set of companies than the NASDAQ, for example, down only 8%. And, and the Dow isn't a great way to measure the broad stock market, right? It's 30 names, industrials. So you have less of some of the other things that are in that. S&P 500 is generally regarded as the best. But the Dow is what I think a lot of um, individual investors look at as as maybe a, a way to gather an understanding of how things are going. And it has gotten much better. We have cut losses pretty significantly in October. And getting back to the seasonality discussion, September, lousy. October, volatile, yet often good. Sometimes Some people have called it a bear killer month. But you get into November and December, and that's where things really start to improve. And and so if we st- if if we stick with seasonality, things can get better, pretty decidedly better from here. So we'll see. We'll see. We have the Fed um, raising rates, but giving some guidance this upcoming week. We're going to get a jobs report, and then of course we have the election. And oftentimes in midterm election years, once we get past the election, things improve pretty markedly. So uh, we'll see if we follow that seasonal pattern. But we saw really the Q3 earnings so far, some would argue it's become it's come in better than expected. I would say it's probably better than feared. Uh, so far, we've had some upside surprises in the energy space. And the S&P 500 earnings are now tracking a more than 2% year-over-year increase. And the overall earnings gain could be over 3% excluding Boeing's charges, which is in line with with LPL research's expectations overall. Um, the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, we'll just call it the the ag, uh, finished the week higher as yields declined and some traders kind of believe that the Federal Reserve rate tightening pace will start to subside. I think we all pretty well expect that the Fed's going to raise rates three quarters of a percent but it's an, here in November, but it's an open question as whether that's going to be half of a percent or three quarters of a percent in, in December. And then what happens after that is kind of anybody's guess. You know, we may have a slower pace of of increases. They may stop altogether, feeling as though they've got enough of, of feeling that inflation is starting to come under control, that they don't need to go any further. They may raise rates three quarters of a percent in December, but really talk soft about what happens going forward. And so there's a lot there's a lot that's going to be coming down the road uh, that we'll need to unpack and investors are going to have to to digest to see where we're headed. But if the October rally here really has a lot to do with bad news, well, good earnings, but kind of softening economic numbers. We're in this twilight zone place where bad news is good news. And if we continue to have slowing economic numbers, that suggests the Fed can you know, let off the gas a little bit with his interest rate increases, which can help investors. One of the things we got last week was a report for the third quarter GDP and the US GDP accelerated two points at a 2.6% pace for the third quarter for the last quarter of the year. That actually beat economists expectations of 2.3%. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. I think actually we'll focus on this mostly here. Uh, in this episode talking about the GDP number. But one thing, you know, we're talking about seasonality and history and the influence of that on things. And I, I will, this has been pretty widely reported. I'm going to take this from Axios News, specifically Axios Sports, but we've got the World Series going on. And I think many people are probably rooting for the Phillies to win, uh, just given the kind of <laughs> how long it's been since the Phillies have won. And 
uh, kind of the Houston Astros history of cheating, frankly, in the World Series and, and other times. But I don't know. We should maybe think twice about who you're rooting for in the World Series because every time Philadelphia has won the World Series, the U.S. has experienced a recession. And as I just mentioned, the economy is starting to slow a bit. And so uh, going back, whether it's the Panic of 1910, the Philadelphia Athletics won then, the recession in 1930. I know this is more than 100 years ago, but let's just go with this here. The recession of 1913, the Philadelphia A's won again. The Great Depression, uh, the A's when who left Philly in 1955 actually won consecutive titles in 29 and 30 the 1980 recession when inflation was 13 and a half percent uh the Phillies won that that's when the Phillies won their first world series and then of course the last time the Phillies won the world series was in 2008 i don't know i don't need to remind you what happened in 2008 so uh you know be just be careful out there with who you with what you wish for and who you're rooting for here in the World Series. But let's get back to GDP because after two consecutive quarters of negative growth in the first half of the year, the economy, as I mentioned, grew at 2.6% annualized rate in the third quarter. And this is really driven by a resilient consumer sector. Real personal spending, which makes up roughly 70% of the economy, grew at just less than a percent and a half annualized. And that's slightly slower than the previous quarter. But net exports were a large contributor to third quarter growth uh, from really a narrowing trade deficit. And one big driver behind the lower deficit was the massive decline in crude oil prices. Crude oil, crude prices fell over 26% in the third quarter as risks of a global slowdown really started to intensify, which actually cut the cost of oil imports into the U.S. over that period. And so as we look ahead, the trade deficit will actually likely widen from here as international economies start to weaken, and that restricts U.S. exports because of a really strong U.S. dollar. Now, as a result, next exports will will detract from not just fourth quarter growth, but could actually impede growth next year in 2023. Consumer spending on services was really another contributor to third quarter growth. A strong labor market and a stockpile of savings have really supported consumer spending so far this year. But how long can that actually last? If we're drawing down our savings and we're running up our credit card balances, we reach a breaking point because eventually consumers are going to need to circle their financial wagons a bit as the savings draw down and they're forced to tap into their credit card or even just pull back on spending to make sure they're making ends meet. One element from the GDP report that surprised absolutely no one was that residential investment subtracted from growth because borrowing costs spiked and housing demand plummeted, plummeted, tanked even. Outside the pandemic, residential investment contracted the most since 2010. And in the next few quarters, housing may normalize. And this, and as it happens, the category is going to continue to drag on growth for the year. I'll actually link to one of the LPL charts of the day that kind of, uh, it shows the growth rebounds uh, from the resilient consumer over the last quarter, but it goes quarter by quarter and and shows some of the things that we're talking about her, here in terms of spending, uh, residential investment, net exports, and so on. So you can click on the link in the show notes to take a look at that. 
So let's get into the weeds. I know we're going a little bit longer than we usually do, but let's get into the weeds for just a minute here because trade and inventories are two volatile categories in GDP. And so in order to get a better view of the trajectory of growth for our economy, investors need to pay special attention to the inflation-adjusted quote, final sales to domestic purchaser line item in the GDP report. Now, I don't know if you're listening to this, that you go through go through the line items of the GDP report, but we'll do that for you and certainly address it if we need to on the podcast. But this combined category of consumer spending and fixed investment was roughly flat relative to the previous quarter, putting the, the run rate significantly below pre-COVID averages and illustrating the real weakening trend in growth. We're going to need to keep an eye on this going forward because you probably don't need to read the light item reports to understand that GDP and growth is starting to slow. The bottom line here is that the U.S. is not in a recession right now. Given the strength of the consumer sector, it's just not, it's just not in the numbers. But as an aside, well, you also you're not in a recession when you have full employment, right? We have if you want a job, you can get a job. That's going to change probably next year. But you you just the strength of the consumer, full employment, unemployment rate, three and something percent, three point something percent, you're just not going to have it. But if you exclude the more volatile categories in GDP, the trajectory for growth looks pretty weak and it's moving the other direction. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, right? Slowing growth, bad trajectory for GDP, terrible news for the economy and markets, right? If things are going down, not necessarily. Recession's painful for the economy and and could cause the Federal Reserve to shift to a half a percent rate increase in December after a three quarters increase here in the first week of November. But you have a deteriorating housing market, nagging inflation, aggressive Federal Reserve. It, it really puts the economy on unsure footing in 2023. But the silver lining here is that markets may have priced in much of those near-term recession risks. And if this slowing growth actually leads to a dovish Fed, a Fed pivot, whatever you want to call the Federal Reserve ending its rate increases, or even reversing them, an economic recession may actually be what investors have been waiting for to snuff out our inflation problem and return us to, you know, that this allows us to almost a recession would in this inflation issue digest all the stimulus and kooky stuff that's been going on these last few years and put us on a path to more sustained growth as we go forward as interest rates either stabilize or even fall. So that will help us out as investors. We'll see. We've got a busy, busy couple of months. It's going to be interesting to see not just what happens with the Fed this week, with the election, um, CPI report after that, and then we get into December and do this all over again with the Fed, CPI, uh, and, and so on. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting end of the year. I am I will say hopeful, but also optimistic, uh, especially with as much bad news has been baked into some of these stocks, especially the mega cap tech. I definitely think we are closer to the end of this mess and the end of this mini tech bubble burst than we are at the beginning. So I will leave it there. Have a great rest of the weekend. If you need me, you can find me on the tennis courts until Monday. I'll catch you then. The advisors with Ford Financial Group are registered representatives with and securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. 
Investment advice is offered through Ford Financial Group, a registered investment advisor and a separate entity from LPL. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Stock investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted. Ford Financial Group and LPL Financial do not provide tax or legal advice or services. This information is not intended as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security referred to herein.